Hello, and welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. I'm Emily Thompson. And I'm Kathleen Shannon. And I am Sarah Bombargan, and I am Being Boss. Today, we are talking to my friend, Sarah Von Bargen. Sarah is a blogger and writer who believes that yes is more fun than no. All right. And as always, you can find all the tools, books, and links we reference on the show notes at www.beingboss.club. In this episode, we're talking about the process of letting go of working with one-on-one clients, transitioning a blog to a primary source of income. We talk about whether or not blogging is dead. We talk about passive income, networking, connecting, turning those internet friends into real-life friends, and spending money on what makes you happy. Okay, you guys, get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and more importantly, get paid quickly. FreshBooks Cloud Accounting is so simple. Even if you're not a numbers person, actually, especially if you're not a numbers person, FreshBooks Cloud Accounting is for you. This is for creative business owners, not accountants. And so FreshBooks has designed their platform with you in mind. It's easy to invoice your clients. It's easy to import your expenses. You can even track your time using FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. It's super mobile friendly and uh, I just can't get over how easy and how intuitive and how visual FreshBooks makes it for creative entrepreneurs to get paid faster. Try it for free by going to freshbooks.com slash being boss and enter being boss in the how did you hear about us section to try it for free today. I'm so excited to have my good friend Sarah Von Bargen on the show today. So for those of you who aren't familiar, Sarah has a website called yesandyes.org where she posts so much great stuff. It's Literally one of the only blogs that I still read. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. So before we get into talking about blogging and money and all the good stuff we're going to chat about today, I mean, I really feel like I'm just using this as an excuse to catch up with my friend. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to hear a little bit about your entrepreneurial path and catching people up who aren't familiar with your work and what you do and all that jazz. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I have been getting paid to write in some form or another since I was uh, 20, and I'm now 37. So I have been writing professionally for ages and ages and, and ages. Um, I also worked as a teacher for seven years, um, and I was an ESL teacher. And so I lived and traveled all over the world doing that. And when I moved back to America, I honestly had a pretty hard time adjusting, and um, I needed a creative outlet. So I started a blog. Um, and there was a certain type of blog I wanted to read and I couldn't find the blog that I wanted to read. So I just invented it. And I guess I sort of luckily found a hole in the market and it became pretty successful and pretty well read. And I was able to turn it into my career. So how did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) So, but how? (laughs) Well, I have so many questions about this, but you still do freelance writing, correct? Or are you solely uh, no. blogging now? No, I'm just blogging now. I, I very occasionally work with corporate clients. But uh, in March of this year, uh, in December, I made a decision to um, let go of all my writing clients. And by March, I was done with that. So from March onward, I have been supporting myself solely through 
um, affiliate links, uh, ads, and um, and a little bit of consulting. And I just recently um, launched an e-course. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. I want to I want to talk about that transition because. <sighs> I actually, I guess about the same timeline as you stopped working one-on-one with clients. And I feel like since doing that, I've had tons of questions about like, how do you make that transition? And it's yeah. not easy, yes. but it also is. Yeah. And a lot like <laughs> making the decision to finally just do it. So I'd love to hear like some of your thought process around letting go of that mm-hmm. like stream of revenue and I don't know what it felt like and what it's yes. done for you. Yes. Well, it was definitely something that I had been thinking about and had been on my mind. Um, but it's scary. It's really scary to make that leap. And something that was really helpful for me, and I'm sure you guys have had this experience where you've got an idea that you think is like so crazy and it couldn't possibly work. And like you tell your friends about it and they're like, oh yeah, you could totally do that. Like, <laughs> like you think it's like crazy and impossible and they're like, don't be ridiculous. Of course you could do that. And so like talking to my friends about it and having seeing how much confidence they had in me felt made me like oh okay if everybody else thinks I can do it like I can probably I can probably do it um and what I did I I tried to be really strategic about it I figured out how much money I needed every month to pay my bills um I figured out how much money was coming in from my clients and where I could replace that or where I could sort of you know trim my budget so I could make this doable and I also when I when I announced to my list that I was no longer going to be ghostwriting um, I said, you know, I have this many spots left and they filled up immediately. So I knew that if I, if I worked really hard for like two months, I could have like a good, like four month buffer before I released my e-course. So, so that's how I did it. And something that I found as well is it sounds so cheesy, but it's really true. Like when you tell the university what you want, you know, a lot of things will appear on your plate that hadn't, you know, even been a possibility before because you have the energy and the time and the interest to pursue them. I love that. And I love that for you, like looking at your numbers and knowing exactly how many clients you needed to take and how long it would take you to complete them and what how you needed to replace it, like gave you the confidence to just sort of do it. Like, yeah. Knowing those numbers are important. Yes. And, and the other thing that I will add um, in this spirit of full disclosure is that because I have, um, I'm signed with an ad network um, so I, I am lucky that I can bring in somewhere between $1,500 and $2,000 a month in ad revenue, which obviously takes a lot of the pressure off me. So I think it's important to be honest about that because if you don't have that like passive income, it's, it's a lot harder to make that leap. Right. But I do love that you set up even the passive income, like that passive income before you made the leap and then you were able to make the leap and then create more passive income in an e-course or an online course. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about how passive or non-passive. <laughs> yeah. Is. Yes. But, yeah. Um, but just sort of lining things up to allow you to take off that way. I yep. love it. Thanks. Okay. I want to rewind a little bit mm-hmm. and talk about your blog because I – feel like we've had this conversation before where you kind of get this pressure to niche into Mm -hmm. just talking about one thing and you've always been pretty adamant about talking about whatever you want to talk about. And so just to kind of give people the landscape of your blog, you have this um, category called True Stories. Yes, yes. It's very like journalistic style 
Q&A where you're really getting a picture of someone's life and you kind of give the broad strokes, but you also narrow in on little details. And it's such a cool um, category that you include. And then you also do mini travel guides. What are some of the other things that you're writing about? Um, Well, I do travel guides. I do cheapskate guides. I do true story interviews. Um, I occasionally um, host guest posts on topics that I don't know enough to write about, but I know my readers would really like. Um, And I also, for a long time, there were series that I hosted that I loved and I published them just because I loved them. Um, But pretty recently when I got honest and I looked at my analytics and I looked at like what gets shared and what gets pinned and what gets comments, Several of those post series honestly didn't really make the cut and they were incredibly time consuming to put together. And either I was spending hours on them or my VA was spending hours on them. And it just felt like I love these, but nobody else does. <laughs> so so a, a few things had to sort of, I had to cut because it just wasn't, I wasn't getting the response that I wanted. And, and it just seemed like, why am I spending dozens of hours every month on these things that nobody else really cares about. Okay, so maybe I'm starting to see a little bit of a shift here from like, (laughs) I'm going to write what I want because something else is paying the bills to, oh shit, I need to look at my analytics and figure out a way that I create a legit living out of this. Yes, yeah. So what um, what made the cut and what are you kind of focusing on or have any themes started to rise to the surface and do you feel like you might actually kind of niche down a little bit? Well, I think I might niche down in the sense that sort of what unites everything I write about is at the risk of sounding really hippie and life coachy is living an intentional life and like making active choices about how you spend your time and your energy and your money and, you know, like opening your mind and trying new things. And so like, I think that's sort of like the over art that everything fits under that umbrella. Um, but some of the stuff that I was writing about that fit under that umbrella just wasn't as popular. So, I mean, there will always, I'll always be writing how to's. I'll always be like writing, responding to like advice that my readers, um, ask me for, but I'm not going to be doing, I did real lifestyle icon interviews where I would um, interview fashion bloggers who were all different sizes, heights, ages. And I loved doing those, but no, nobody really cared about them. Um, and I had an awesome series called Read Eat, which was um, food from books that we all loved. And I loved that series and nobody else did. Um, and I had a mornings in series where I interviewed women from other countries about their beauty routines and their breakfast routines. I love that series, but I also like, there are only so many countries where you have access to people whose English is good enough that you can interview them over email. And I've like done all those countries. Um, and, and the really like, that was one of my personal, I know I I loved it. I loved it. And I've got probably like 35 of those interviews and truly anyone who is listening to this, um, this podcast, if you look through my archives and your home country has not been covered, please email me. I'm I'm totally open to continuing it, but it's really hard to find someone, uh, you know, who wants to be interviewed about that stuff in a really obscure, you know, country who, who wants to email me about it. Um, so yeah, I ha I have gotten, as I no longer, as I cut that income, I no longer had the luxury, honestly, of just publishing whatever I wanted, even if nobody else cared about it. 
I love that. How does how does that make you feel? <laughs> oh, that's a, no, that's a great question. I mean, honestly, I I was a little bit sad to see some of it go, but it freed up so much time, so much time, and so much energy. And the stuff that I'm replacing it with is stuff that I feel equally passionate about. Like if I was replacing it with you know, tech tutorials, I would feel differently, but I'm replacing it with stuff that I feel equally passionate about. So, and also honestly, like there are plenty of things that I do in my offline life that fill those same, those same needs. It's not like that stuff is gone from my life. It's just gone from my blog. Right. I feel like as creative entrepreneurs, sometimes we have this, we get into a scarcity mindset where we feel like I'm never going to have a good idea ever again. And sometimes it takes letting go of some things to make room for more things. And so for me, I actually had to kind of give up personal blogging for a while and I love it, but it still taught me so much about my voice and how to start to blend that voice that I discovered from personal blogging into the work that I'm doing on this very podcast. So I really feel like the landscape of blogging has changed and I didn't realize that you had cut out freelance work to go into blogging. And meanwhile, I was just asking myself the other day, has blogging died? (laughs) So are you getting that question at all? Or are you asking yourself that question? How are you kind of like navigating your way around the changing landscape of blogging and then going into it full time? Oh, that's a really good question. Well, I think that I think that blogging is still for me and, and in my experience, like it's still definitely alive and well. I mean, as long as people are search are typing things into Google, blogging or any online content will be will still be a thing. Um, I think that being serious about blogging, understanding SEO, understanding how to create, you know, images that have alt tags that use the right photos that are going to get pinned that that shit's real. You have to do that. Like, it's no, I mean, you can absolutely still have a blog where you're like, this is what I did this weekend. And here's a photo of my food. Like you can still do that, but it's very unlikely you're going to make any money or, or, or get real traffic from doing something like that. So in what ways have you gotten serious or, I mean, obviously looking at SEO and looking at your analytics, but are there other ways that you've gotten serious about making a living off of this and things that you maybe didn't consider beforehand? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think I actually, you know, I was I went to a liberal arts college. I worked in the nonprofit world. And so there were a lot of like sort of sales and marketing things that on some level I thought I was quote unquote above, you know, like I don't want to use hashtags on all my pin, on all my Instagram photos. Like I don't want to do webinars. Like I don't want a real sales page. Mm. Like as though I was taking a moral high ground, <laughs> like what? But, <laughs> but I think the thing is, like, if you have created something that you're proud of, that you believe and you have witnessed will change people's lives, you owe it to yourself and the thing you created and the people you could help to properly sell it. Like, if, yes. yeah, like, if you think about, like, think about Liz Gilbert or think about, you know, Ira Glass or any of the people who we love and whose work we admire, like, where would we be if they were all like, I made a thing, it's over there. You know, like, that's not helpful. So I think I just sort of had to get honest about the fact that I believe in the work I do. And I need to make it easier for people to find. So just put on your grown up pants, Sarah. Right. And learn some online marketing. Yes. Yeah. Basically what this becomes, which I've I feel like we need a new word for online marketing. That whole spiel is very white male with a 
yeah. dry erase board <laughs> yes. a little bit, yes. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but I love that. So I don't know. I love that. Go, well, okay. So <laughs> I know – so I know, Sarah, that you have created and launched courses before or ebooks or digital products that you could sell. Yes. And these passive revenue uh, or these passive streams of revenue that you could sell and that maybe you haven't promoted them like you could in the past. So I'm curious to see what your experience was like whenever you would create these things before. Like what yes. were you doing before and now what are you doing differently with those digital products and courses and things like that. Yeah. Well, I would just say, and also like sort of to be fair to myself, um, when I created things in the past, like webinars were not even a thing that people were doing. Like when I created my first ebook, nobody had opt-ins, you know? So to be fair to myself, maybe I would have promoted better, but those things didn't exist. But in the past, I would make something and I would write like one blog post about it. And then I would put it in my sidebar. And then very occasionally at the bottom of a blog post, I would say like, hey, I wrote an ebook about this. And then I would link to the sales page. Um, but I didn't have a funnel. I didn't have like a content upgrade that led to the funnel. You know, I wasn't like updating my testimonials. I wasn't like sending a follow-up email, you know, a few months after people bought the thing saying like, hey, did you use this? Um, I absolutely didn't have... I didn't use webinars. I didn't have Facebook ads. I didn't really promote it on social media. Um, so yeah, it would mostly, usually what would happen is people would buy it. Um, you know, there would be a big spike in sales when I um, released it and then that would be it. And, you know, so I'd make like, I would make like a nice amount, but I would make a nice amount one time and then I would sell like $15 worth of ebook, you know, every month for the next like year. Yeah. Okay. So now you've recently launched a course called Put Your Money Where Your Happy Is. Yes. And before we get to that and how you're now promoting that course differently than mm-hmm. yes. just the blog post and the sidebar and sometimes the call to action at the end of future blog posts, which is literally exactly what I did with my e-course whenever I launched it. I didn't even know, I was just admitting this the other day, I didn't even know what a sales funnel was until about six months ago. Oh, yes. You're the one that introduced yes. the idea of content upgrades to me whenever we did that little DIY mastermind in Mexico. You were like, you guys, content upgrades, <laughs> let me true. tell you. It's so true. we'll explain that to any of you listeners who are not familiar yet with content upgrades. But um, so one of the things that I've always really admired about you, Sarah, is your ability to just be a working creative. And I want to talk about that a little bit because I feel like right now there's this whole thing about the six-figure business and hustling. And I know that we're a part of that also with our podcast. And we're all about making six figures and there's no shame in that. But there's also something to be said for just being a working creative. And I often think of actors who we don't know their names that make a good living as actors. They're on IMDb, but they're not Brad Pitt. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you are totally content being that character actor that doesn't have to have the fame and the glory and the millions of dollars. So I'd like to talk about that. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Well, for better or for worse, I have always viewed writing as it's simply a skill set. You know, like some people hang drywall. I write like 
Like when people are like, what's your process? And I'm like, I open up my laptop and then I type words into a Google Doc. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I'm not like, and then I pour my whiskey and I light my candle and then I call on my muse. Like, no, you know, I just, I just do it. (laughs) Um, And I think, and maybe that's just part of my personality or because I've been doing it for so long or because I got my start at newspapers where like you cannot be precious because there is a deadline and anything you write is going to get edited down anyway. And then after that, I worked in advertising, which is the same thing. Like you write so much, you're writing press releases, you're writing, you know, so much that any like preciousness gets drummed out of you. So I think it's a combination of my like sensible Midwesternness and like where I started as a writer that I am patently unprecious about it. And I really realized that you need a shitty rough draft to edit down. Like nobody, nobody's expecting you to write a Pulitzer Prize winning novel on your first attempt. Like I, I frequently, you know, I'll come up with an idea for a blog post. I write out the bullet points. I fill in the bullet points. If something isn't working, I just skip it. And then I let it sit. And then I come back and write an introduction. And then I proof it. Like it's just, and I've sort of applied that to the rest of my career. Like, I love the work that I do and I really believe in my blog and the work that I do, but mostly like I want to have an awesome life. You know, I want to travel. I want to see my friends. I want to enjoy my marriage and my garden and my work supplies the money and time to do that. You know? Yeah. I love that you don't really identify with your work as like a part of your soul. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I want to do a good job, but yeah. I feel like my work identity or my career is so much a part of my personal identity and I often struggle with that and I think that's why I see that in you your ability to just like yep I showed up I did the work and then I did all these awesome things so I want to talk about some of those awesome things because another thing I admire about you is your ability to travel the world and prioritize new experiences and you're doing it with not a whole lot of money like you're not some trust fund baby no super no you are working for every cent you make right and so I want to talk about how you've been able to prioritize those things and maybe just some of your experiences with travel and what it's given to your life sure um well for me when it comes to prioritizing this is going to sound like so unsexy and obvious but it's literally just looking at the calendar and being like okay well I'm going to Europe this summer and then writing and then writing it in the calendar and then booking the ticket. I know that's so dumb, but it's true. It's true. Like you just have to be like, okay, well, this is what this is what I'm doing. And I put it in the calendar. And when people try and like schedule something for that time, I'm like, no, I'm gonna be in Greece. Like it sounds obvious, but most of us don't do it. And I think also sort of getting out of the mindset. Again, this sounds really hippie and life coachy, but getting out of the mindset that like someday, someday's not a day. And nothing is promised. And, like, if you keep, like, someday-ing, you're going to be 70. Like, I, I had the epiphany earlier this summer. I'd always, I've always loved Greece, and I've always wanted to be in Greece for Orthodox Easter because it's a really special celebration. And I was, like, standing in my tiki bar working and thinking about how I wanted to do that. And I was like, well, no, but I can. <laughs> like, I have the money and I had, why am I just not doing that? And so I'm not, I like, I, I realized I could do it. And then I went on kayak and looked at flights and I was like, okay, yeah, no, I'm doing that. And I sent a text message being like, so I think I'm going to go to Europe for like four weeks this spring. And he's like, okay. Like sometimes, obviously I'm so lucky that that is my situation, but. 
Okay, two things. One, you're working from a tiki bar. Is this your tiki yes, bar? Yes, it's my or tiki bar. Is this like bar. a place that you go? No, it's my tiki bar. This is just another reason for you guys to visit me in Minneapolis. We have a we have a tiki bar, a built-in tiki bar with a roof and um like lights and a little mini fridge and the whole thing. Wow. Oh. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So two, are you going to Greece by yourself? Yeah. Well, sort of. So I'm going to Lisbon, Portugal and um, Lesbos, Greece and Transylvania. What? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but so actually, and I think I might have even posted about this in the Being Boss um, group, But there, so obviously, as you're all aware, there's an economic crisis in Greece and um, all the Syrian refugees are landing in Lesbos, which is an area that was um, very, very, all their income came from tourism. So there, not only has their economy dried up, um, all of the refugees are landing there. So a friend of mine actually put together, I don't know what you would call it, but they are trying to appeal to digital nomads like us to come and stay in these hotels that are empty. They have really fast internet because they want to bring in people and bring in tourism dollars to like reinvigorate the community so they can better support the refugees and better support the locals. So I'm going there to be part of this. So I am like flying to Greece by myself and then like hanging out with a bunch of internet friends like in Greece. Ah, That's so fun. I I love love the internet. I know. You guys can come (laughs) too. I'll send you a link for the show notes and you can tell all your people about it. So this is another thing I want to talk about is you're really good about connecting with your internet friends. And it was probably this time last year that you emailed me and you were like, hey, do you want to go hang out in Mexico for a week and talk about nerdy business stuff? And I was like, yes, totally. And I have to tell you, I don't know if I've actually fully expressed this to you, that completely re-energized me in business she came back with so many tasks and to-dos for like me and us that I was like I don't think I'm ever gonna let you do that again (laughs) (laughs) no but really it was so great like getting her on the same page with like email marketing and all of those things Thank you very much for doing I think that 2015 was just a really hard year and I was really tired. And so going into 2016 with that trip, and it was me, you, um, and just probably three other women hanging out in Mexico. We never even really left our condo. We went to, I went to the beach once and it was too windy. So we were just really nerding out on business for like five days straight. And it was so much fun and it was exactly what I needed. And it was not super expensive. No, no. And it wasn't like some sort of official mastermind group. Um, Even though that stuff is great too, it was really helpful to just, get people together and it started with an email just like you said there was an email there was some date set there were plane tickets bought and it was as easy as that yeah 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 and I think um especially for your readers in terms of like building community and networking networking doesn't have to be some like cheesy hotel ballroom thing it can literally be like hey I'm gonna be in Cleveland I know you're in Cleveland do you want to grab lunch it can be that easy Right. Yes. And it is that easy. Yeah. I love that. I feel like I feel like I've had so many conversations around women like in communities who want to build community and then they go into like, you know, we need to do networking events and just like those things. They're like, no, you need to invite everyone to dinner. Yeah. Or like yes. have a cocktail party or just get two or three people in a room and see what happens. Yes. Absolutely. Um, because 
I love that. Like, especially women, we connect differently. I know. We were recently talking like networking is just making a bunch of friends. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that when you put the word networking in the title, everybody like gets on edge and they're like wearing their blazers and they've got their cards and they're like, I've got my elevator pitch. But if you're like, you know, what, we're all just having dinner, like you're, of course, you're going to end up talking about business because that's what you all have in common. But it takes the pressure off you. You can feel more like yourself. And I think you connect more on a human to human level instead of like a, how many followers do you have? (laughs) Right. And you know what else I get from this sense of networking lately is like, uh, what can you do for me? Oh, gosh. And I hate it whenever people, um, completely blow each other off because they think that they have no use for each other. And I love thinking back to, I mean, Emily and I each had 12 followers whenever we became business best. Yes. It's like, we, and you don't need a lot of, I, I don't know, this is my whole thing lately is just don't try and see what someone can do for you. See what you can do for absolutely. them. Absolutely. Not even that. Like just see if you can be friends and have a real conversation. Yep. I absolutely agree. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit then about putting your money where your happy is. I love that you've created a course around this, and um, and I think it's so important because a lot of us working creatives who are graphic designers, coaches, consultants, writers, um, nutritionists, makeup artists, a lot of us are just trying to be happy. We're trying to be happy doing what we love and we're trying to live a life that allows us the freedom and flexibility to do what we want and to spend our money on things that make us happy. So I'd love to talk about that a little bit because I think that far too often we use money and time as an excuse to not do the things that are important to us. So how do you kind of get around money and time? And feel free to just jump in and riff oh, on sure. how you created the course and all of that. Sure. Well, so basically, um, so when I first started Yes and Yes, and and when I first started, I was a little bit um, secretive about this because I even felt a little bit embarrassed about it. But so when I first started Yes and Yes, I was working as an ESL teacher. I made $16 an hour. I had $50,000 worth of debt from getting uh, my undergrad and my master's. Um, and I, uh, you know, I just, I, I was not in the world's greatest financial situation. And despite that, I lived in a really cute apartment in a nice neighborhood. And I lived in the twin cities, which is not like incredibly cheap or anything. Um, I owned my car outright and I was able to save enough in a year and a half to travel internationally for 10 months. And so like when you run those, when you like think about those numbers that I just told you, that seems impossible. I mean, that seems like how could you possibly do that? And I didn't live on ramen and I didn't have support from my parents, a partner, um, and I didn't put anything on a credit card. Like, so that just seems crazy. Totally. How did you? Well, basically (laughs) what it came down to is I figured out what made me happy and I stopped spending on money on things that didn't is honestly, that's all it came down to. I figured out what made me happy and I stopped spending money on things that didn't make me happy. Um, but the thing is, most of us don't have a really clear picture of what makes us happy. We have like really broad, overarching ideas about like travel, friends with time and family. And that's great. But so when we're talking about travel, are we talking about like an all-inclusive in Cancun or are we talking about three months in Romania? And when we're talking about time with friends and family, are we talking about like you and Emily like drinking wine on your couch? Or are we talking about like you going to Florida with your family? Because those things are different. And so 
when you can really, really get clear on what makes you happy, you can find more of it and add more of it to your life. And you can also find it sort of at different price points because you can get clear on, okay, what actually makes me happy is connecting with somebody who really knows me. Or what actually makes me happy is feeling, is feeling anonymous in a new city. And so if you know that what really makes you happy is feeling anonymous in a new city, you can just drive to like Cleveland. You know, you don't need to fly to Budapest. Or if you know that what really makes you happy is having a cabin weekend with your girlfriends, cool. But it doesn't make you happy to like go out to dinner a million times a week, then stop going out to dinner. And with that money you've saved, now you can rent a cabin with your girlfriends. So one of the things that I like the the sort of the pillar of my course is I tell my students to print off um, one month of bank statements and one month of credit card statements. And then you get three highlighters, a pink one, a yellow one, and a green one. And you look through every single purchase that you made. And if it's a purchase that improved your life or made it happier, it's green. If it's an unavoidable expense like rent or groceries or insurance, it's yellow. And if it's money that you regret spending or you don't even like recognize the purchase and you're like, I don't even know what that is, it's, a, it's pink. And then you add up those three categories and holy shit, you would be amazed by what you find out. Like, and you'll also be really amazed because you'll look at all the things you said made you happy and you'll look at your ba- at the way you spent your money and most people are like, oh, those, those aren't aligning the way I thought they would. Uh, when I, when I worked my, when I talked my students through this exercise, I had one student who's a very high earner who, uh, realized that she was spending $2,000 a month in on regrettable purchases. Yeah. Oh no. I know. Oh my goodness. I know. I had students who said that they were on like a really tight budget and there's no way that I can cut any more from it. And they realized they were spending like $150 a month that they didn't need to. I had a student who's actually a life coach who said like, oh, I'm really good at self-care. I'm really good at like spending my money in ways that make me happy. And then she realized she'd only spent $27 on herself. So it's really crazy. And when you figure that out, when you figure out what makes you happy and you figure out where your money is going and you figure out how to make it align, like it's crazy the way your life transforms. And and especially like think about how different your life would be if you were spending $2,000 less a month. And, or you had 2000 extra dollars to spend on things that made you happy. Like, just think how that would shift everything. I know. And I connect time and money so much. So even as you're talking through this, I'm thinking of it more as time. Like, how much time have I spent scrolling through Instagram whenever I could have been having a dinner party with my friends? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know? So um, I really am thinking of it in that way as well. But um, – Wow. Okay. So I'm curious, what are some things that you stopped spending on that you thought maybe made you happy, but actually don't? Yes. Um, I realized that I don't particularly like going out to eat or rather I should say it doesn't bring me joy. Going out to eat does not bring me joy. I'm vegetarian. So 90% of the time I just end up eating like salads and pasta that I can make at home and they're healthier and more delicious when I make them at home. And going out to eat is so expensive. It's so expensive. And every time I go and I'm like, how did we spend $50 on like a cheese plate and some mediocre wine? So I, <laughs> I, I pretty much stopped eating out and um, I started having friends over for dinner more, which I like so much more anyway. And it's so much cheaper. So I stopped, um, I stopped going out to eat mostly. 
um, I not only for saving money, but also in terms of like the environmental impact, I buy almost exclusively um, secondhand clothes or I buy clothes that are like custom made or, you know, very ethical. So I'm basically either spending like $7 or like $25 on a t-shirt. Um, but I would so much rather do that and feel good about it. Then, you know, like buy something at Target and be like, well, this was a 14 year old in India who made this for me and it's going to fall apart. Um, so I, um, got really intentional about my shopping in a way that I was proud of, um, ethically. And the other thing, um, so one of the things I talk about in my course is the eight common reasons that we make regrettable purchases. And once you figure out why you're making them, you can, you can change your spending. And my two biggest reasons that I make regrettable purchases, and obviously this is much lower now that I know this about myself is I make regrettable purchases because I'm disorganized or hurried. Um, so like I will, this is a true story. I have booked tickets like flights and train tickets and for the wrong day on multiple occasions because I'm not paying attention and I'm going too fast. Um, and I have like four sets of head of headphones because I always forget to pack them. And then I get to my destination. And I'm like, shit, and I have to buy them again. So once I realized that so many of my regrettable purchases were tied to being disorganized, I, I forced myself to slow down. And the other reason I make regrettable purchases is I make the close enough regrettable purchase where you're like, it's on yes. sale. If I wear a blazer over it, it'll be fine. Oh, if I hem it, then it'll be cute. <laughs> I'm never hemming it. I'm never hemming it. And so now that I know that, I only buy things that I really love instead of like the, oh, it's almost good enough. Okay, I noticed that I overspend or that I start – spending a lot of money whenever I'm sad oh yes that's that's the that's the shopping instead of feeling your feelings and it's the most common reason that people make regrettable purchases I am all about some shopping instead of feeling my feelings yep see I do when I get bored like I'll just be super bored and pull up the Amazon website and then shit gets real because I buy like a new library of books yeah. or something that like I don't even need. Yeah. You know, Amazon Prime has made it so easy I to know. just buy whatever. And I love it for that reason. I love the convenience. I don't want anyone to ever take my Amazon Prime away from me. <laughs> but even thinking of it almost in a primal to our roots, like how – because sometimes I think that buying things can make us happy. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. And that – but part of it is that anticipation and that Hunt. So even like looking at it from a primal aspect, we used to have to hunt for our food yes. and now I can literally have it delivered to me. And I wonder if that's actually taking out some of my yes. satisfaction. It in totally the is. That it I don't totally have to really is. work for it. Yeah. Because when you think about like, how excited do you feel when you see in a boutique, like this is the bracelet I've been wanting for five years. Like it makes you feel so awesome and accomplished instead of just like going on Amazon and sorting like thin gold bangle like between 20 and $75, that's not that you don't feel like, oh, I got it. It's awesome. I have an amazing story about where I found it. It's just like, yeah, I found it on Amazon by sorting like best reviews. Oh, I love that. Ooh, okay. So you just said something that if you have words for it, I'd love to hear them about having a good story for things mm -hmm. that you do buy. Because as I've gotten older, I find myself like focusing on that a whole lot. Like whenever I'm traveling I like to bring home one thing yes that is like my thing from that trip or whatever so I don't know in case your wanderings and teachings of money has 
made you think about that topic? Any? Oh, yeah. Well, I think that I, that's just like the meaningful purchase, you know, like I'm commemorating. So after I launched, and this is something else we can talk about, but when I launched the e-course, you never know how successful it's going to be. And it's so hard not to put all of your feelings in that one basket. And so I created an emotional contingency plan um, for myself. <laughs> uh, so like, even if it didn't sell any, I didn't want to like hate myself and hate my life. And part of that was we had already planned a weekend away, regardless of the outcome of the course. And I knew that on that weekend, I wanted to like find something and buy it that would be part of my life that when I looked at it, I could say like, you know what? I tried a new thing. I did a hard thing. And anytime I look at this, I remember that like I did a good job. And so I found um, like a really pretty gold bangle in a boutique and I bought it. And it was like, A, something I had wanted anyway. And B, every time I look at it, I think about like, I learned all these new skills and like, thank, uh, thankfully the course was successful, but like, regardless of that, like I tried something new, I got out of my comfort zone, I did something that was brave. And every time I look at that, I think about it, which is so much better than just like wandering around Target and being like, no, $15 for some right? gold bangles. Cool. <laughs> I love that. And so I, I've, again, been practicing that or just like it's been happening for me. Um, and I find myself making less making less just pointless purchases because whenever I do want something, I want to wait until the right time yes, to purchase it. Yes, yes, yes. I call that um, you need to honor the immediate yes. Like, you know, when you see the thing across the store and you're like, that was meant for me instead of the like mindlessly going through the sales racks and being like, oh, this is fine, I guess. And I mean, we've all had right. that experience where you see it across, you know, like the light of God, like shines down onto it. And you're like, <laughs> this was the winter coat that was designed specifically for me at this point in my life. And you don't even look at the price tag because it's a moot point because it's so perfect for you. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. I want to circle back around to promoting this course yes. and how that's been different for you this time versus last time. And coming back to what Emily said about how passive income isn't so passive yes. whenever you're working hard on it. So obviously now you've got your sales funnel set up, you have opt-ins, you have webinars. What else are you doing? And how how has that made you feel? Like the kind of promoting in a different way have you been scared did it did and did you see any repercussions that you were scared of before oh that's a good question um well so I was pretty nervous I had done one webinar before but it was like hosted by somebody else and I was like the guest um and so this webinar I was doing completely by myself completely by myself so you know if the tech falls through if it's boring it's all on me and so that was pretty terrifying. And like, I was a theater kid for a long time. So I'm not afraid of being on camera or talking to people, but like the tech aspect, oh my God, it's terrifying. And we've all been on webinars or where like I, nobody can hear you or like the screen's black. Like it happens. It happens to everybody. Yeah. And so I was really nervous about that. I was also nervous. Like we've, we all read blogs. We all know what happens when somebody releases a book and there's like, nonstop blog posts about their book tour or like nonstop and you get a little bit annoyed. And I was, you know, I was worried. I was worried, but it wasn't going to stop me from promoting it. But I was like, I know it's only a matter of time till I get emails being like, I could really do without this, you know? So I was worried about that. Um, Did you get that? No, I didn't. Um, and, and if anything, I thought maybe like, maybe I'm not promoting it enough. If nobody 
nobody's complaining about it. Um, That's actually a good point. I loved hearing. I'm on your mailing list, obviously, and I loved hearing about it. And well, thank I just, you. Because I felt like you were creating fresh sales content, and I think maybe because you don't come from this world of online marketing. I mean, you're very much in it, but you almost seem like, again, above it. (laughs) Like there's just this working creative that maybe you came to it with a fresh perspective that you weren't just checking off the boxes of sales emails that you were supposed to do. And you were just kind of doing it your way. And I kind of get this sense that you will take best practices and really make them your own. Well, thank you. I mean, that's definitely what I'm trying to do. And I really tried to keep in mind like, okay, I'm going to write a blog post that promotes the course, but I want this blog post to be helpful to anyone, regardless of whether they buy the course or not. And I also, um, when I was putting together the webinars, I wanted the webinar to be so good that people are like, oh my gosh, if this is what's in the free webinar, what is the course going to be like? Because of course, not everybody's going to buy it, not everybody can afford it, but I wanted people to walk away being like, wow, just this this stuff that she shared with us is incredibly helpful to me right now, even if I'm not going to buy the course. Okay, can we talk about pricing really quick? Yes, yes. How did you decide what to price your product at? Um, I decided, well, because it was, so my plan is to run it twice a year. So I wanted to obviously start low and then, you know, potentially increase it. Um, so I started at 97 and then it was 97 for a week and then I increased it to 147. And I know that I could be charging a lot more for that because anything about money can be a lot more expensive. But but to be totally, totally honest, I live in a cute-ass house. I travel as much as I want. I have the life that I want. Like, I and it's, I know this sounds cheesy, but the stuff that I'm talking about is incredibly helpful to people. And I don't want somebody not to learn this stuff because it's too expensive for them. And like, I have been in the place making $16 an hour. And when I was making $16 an hour... Even a $97 course, I'd be like, I don't know. I really have to think about that. So I want to be sensitive totally. to that. We're People are always asking, like, how do I price my thing? And Emily and I are always like, just check with your gut. <laughs> Start low. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, um, my husband used to work in the corporate world. And what he said that you should do is um, with your beta testers, you give them three prices and you say, which one is too much? Which one is too low? That's like, that makes it seem suspicious. And then that's how you figure out your pricing, which I mean, I probably should have done. But honestly, I was like, I just want to make it accessible. (laughs) I love it. Well, and that's what I love about starting things low like that is that you can raise them as you feel the need or like looking at, I don't know, how many people want in can be a good gauge Mm -hmm. of pricing stuff. You just got to get going. I love that you just got it out there. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So to wrap this up. I'm curious to hear in what ways are you feeling super boss right now? And what is one piece of advice you would give to our listeners so that they can feel more boss? Oh my gosh, that's a great idea. Um, So I would say I'm feeling really boss right now because the course gave me the financial breathing room that from now until probably January, I can just calm down. You know, like I don't necessarily... I mean, I'm still going to be publishing blog posts and stuff, but I my plan is to um, put the blog on a break for most of December so I can hang out and do winter holiday stuff. So it makes me feel really boss to have the professional and financial and emotional 
space to be like, you know what, I'm just going to like take a break for a little bit because I want to. So that makes me feel really good. And I would say that you can probably create that feeling in your life even without like a huge influx in cash. You know, you can say no to social obligations that you're not into. You can say no to the, I just want to pick your brain phone call. Like there are things you can do in your life without needing some, you know, like five figure paycheck, like bonus to, to get that feeling. All right. Follow up question. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, that's right. <laughs> Let's talk about saying no, because I feel like you are someone that could do it with grace. Oh, that's How very How do kind. you say no whenever you Oh my gosh. Asked? like really nice things. Like, can you come on my podcast? How do you say no? Um, well, it really, I mean, honestly, it depends. I mean, there, there are seasons of my life where I'm like, sure, everything, whatever. Um, honestly, I'm usually just very honest and say like, I am, I am knee deep in, I'm knee deep in the holiday season with my stepkids and we have Hanukkah and Christmas and it's a lot. Or like I am developing a new course and I'm completely overwhelmed. I just, I'm just very honest. And I say like, I so appreciate I so appreciate your interest. And then if ever, whenever it's possible, like if somebody's like, can I pick your brain about X, Y, Z? And I say, no, I'll either t- point them towards somebody else. Like not, not like oh, go call Kathleen. Cause she'll talk to you. But, <laughs> but like, thanks Sarah. <laughs> but somebody's like published work, like this blog post by Melissa Griffin will tell you everything you need to know. Or if I've written a blog post about it, I'll say like, I wrote about it here, here, and here. Hope that's helpful. I'm usually just like, I'm busy and overwhelmed. Sorry, but here's something that helps is, is how I try to do it. I have to tell you the hardest thing I've said no to recently was going on a oh, vacation with you again. Yeah. You, you <laughs> well, got to see my wiffle come. waffle. You can still come. The house is big enough. You can still come. It's only in Florida. I, I know. I was like, keep me on the email chain. <laughs> Maybe I can change my mind. But I had to say no to – so my thing in 2017 is really focusing on where my happy is. And I would be so happy going on vacation oh, with you course. guys. Oh, of course, yeah. But it was also like, where can I focus on my family? And I've really been putting this – um, intention in focusing on my house next Ooh, year. Yes. And Ooh, yes. Ooh, fun. Yeah, so, man, but it was hard. Oh, so that's I okay. Was like, we totally understand. One toe in, one toe out. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for inviting me. Don't don't forget about me in 2018. No, we'll, you'll, you'll be on the permanent email chain. All right, where can our listeners find more from you? Um, I'm everywhere on the internet. Um, on social media, I'm Yes and Yes Blog. So on Instagram, on Pinterest, on Facebook, Twitter, I'm Yes and Yes Blog. And then um, my URL is yesandyes.org. Thank you for listening to Being Boss. Find articles, show notes, and downloads at www.beingboss.club. If you're a creative entrepreneur, freelancer, or a small business owner who is ready to take your goals to the next level, check out the Being Boss Clubhouse, a two-day online retreat followed by a year of community support, monthly masterclasses, book club, secret episodes, and optional in-person retreats. Find more at www.beingboss.club clubhouse. Thank you so much to our team and sponsors who make Being Boss possible. Our sound engineer and web developer, Corey Winter. Our editorial director and content manager, Caitlin Brain. Our community manager and social media director, Sharon Lukey. Our graphic designer, Jessica Bramlett. And our bean counter, David Austin. With support from Braid Creative and Indie Shopography. Do the work. 
Be boss, and we'll see you next week.